Welcome to Disrupting Japan. Straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. I think the peak of the chatbot hype cycle came in 2017. If we cast our minds back into the mists of that distant age, perhaps we can recall that chatbots were going to change the way we work, the way we shop, the way we bank, the way we talk to our customers, and even the way we find love and raise our children. Yeah, that didn't happen. And startup founders, startup investors, and startup media all moved on to focus on some newer, shinier object. A blockchain, probably. But you know something? Sometimes all that media hype and investor attention can actually make it really hard to build something worthwhile. A lot of times, the best ideas and the best use of technology. Come from trying to solve a simple problem without investors telling you you need to be a unicorn or journalists demanding to know exactly how you plan on changing the world by the end of the year. And so it is with chatbots. Today, we're going to sit down with Akemi Tsunagawa, the founder and CEO of Bespoke, the creator of the Bebot chatbot. Now, Akemi will tell you exactly how Bebot works in just a second, but, but to really appreciate what an important story Bespoke is, you need to understand that outside of marketing and some trivial customer support apps, you've got to realize there's almost no chatbot success stories. Bebot is one of the very few chatbots in the entire world. That provides enough genuine utility that people not only willingly interact with it, but start to rely on it. Bespoke's business model does not rely on novelty or cost cutting. No, Bespoke is solving an actual problem. This is a great example of how the needs of one industry can push technology forward for other sectors. And Akemi and I also talk about why she didn't even realize they were running a chatbot company at first. She gives some great advice on how to get consumers to try out not not just chatbots, but any new technology. And we chat about why you should never—and I mean never—build your business around Facebook or WeChat. But you know, Akemi tells that story much better than I can. So let's get right to the interview. So I'm sitting here with Akemi Tsunagawa, the founder of Bespoke, and we're going to be chatting about chatbots today. So thanks for sitting down with me. Well, thanks for inviting me here. You know, there are so many chatbot startups out there right now,、um, but this is really an interesting application for them. So can you just briefly explain about the service, about what Bebot is? Sure. We make chatbots for. Enterprise client in the hospitality space, like hotels, airports, train stations,、uh, to help them automate interaction with their visitors and guests to provide better experiences. So you're focused on tourism and travel, and I, I've noticed you've managed to get some some major deals. Bebots being used in Narita Airport,、mm-hmm. in、um, 
the new Otani Hotel, Tokyo Station. Before we dive into Bebot and the business in general, I want to back up a little bit and talk about you. Sure. So you started this in 2015. Mm-hmm. So why, why chatbots? Okay, so to be honest, we never started this company as a chatbot company. We were doing something completely different uh, three and a half years ago. What I always wanted to do was to provide authentic experiences to people. The type of experiences you get through a local friend is very different. It's very unique. You get to eat you know, something special, uh, something unique to the country, or you get to visit places that you can't visit you know, elsewhere. That's the kind of experience that I was looking for, but I couldn't find any sort of services out there. Well, I, I can understand that because so much, pretty much 100% of the travel-oriented startups has that same pitch, sure, right? Sure. That it's like having a local friend. And, right, right. and But it's something that's really hard to do at, at scale. I, I'm curious, what you mentioned at first you weren't doing chatbots. Mm-hmm. What, what were you doing at first? So it was a website, to connect like people, like you know, you know, you've seen that many, you know, yeah. I mean, and many places. But um, in addition to just connecting locals to travelers, we were also providing like a little bit similar to like a TripAdvisor, but like a local version, like little, you know, local bars that you wouldn't find in guidebooks type of places. Right. So we launched that service first. We did lots of user interviews. And uh, as we met more users, like tourists, they kept telling us like the same kind of problems, which is like in Japan, it's always about the language. It's always about the communication. It's like I call the restaurant. They don't take my reservations because I'm not Japanese or they don't understand me or website is all in Japanese and can't understand. So we decided to add a concert feature on top of the, the existing website. Mm-hmm. Then as we did more user interviews, people kept telling us, concert is great, but I don't need your help like next week. I need your help like right now because I'm lost at the train station or I'm having a problem at the restaurant. So it needed to be instant. So we decided to turn our concert service into chat. You know, that, that's interesting because I, I think that the vast majority of tourism startups and even tourism technology companies approach it as a problem of lack of information. That these travelers don't, just don't know about the local spots or the interesting things to do. But it sounds like you discovered it was really more a lack of communication ability. I think so, um, especially in Japan. I mean, there's not enough information out there. I totally agree, like 100%, right? Mm-hmm. But even if you can find information, there's not enough support afterwards. Especially now, the number of tourists coming to Japan literally tripled over the last five years. And not enough bilingual you know, staff to support uh, those foreign tourists. So we decided to turn our service into chat. But the next thing we realized was too many messages coming through that we can't really reply back on time. And I don't speak Chinese. I can't chat in Chinese, right? So we decided to automate it, and that's how we became a chatbot company. So it was never, you know, like we started a chatbot company. I mean, sometimes you have to pivot based on the information you're getting. So so right now you support uh, English, Chinese, and Japanese? So we don't do Japanese. You don't do Japanese? We don't do Japanese. Oh, okay. Why is that? Because we build this product so that we can use it Mm -hmm. when we travel. 
when we travel, those places are not like Japanese-speaking countries. Okay. <laughs> right? Right, right. Yeah. And then also, I think in Japan, not many hotels are having problems dealing with Japanese guests. Right, right. Okay. You don't have a technical background, right? No, I don't. So how did you, did you have a technical co-founder? How did you build the original team to kind of pursue that vision? I don't have any co-founders. It's just me. When I first started, we were doing a website. So we didn't need anyone who is, you know, like a PhD in computer science. We just needed like a very simple, solid um, engineer, software engineer. First person I found was a referral through a friend. So basically what I did was I messaged literally everyone on my Facebook asking, do you have any developers? Like, you know, do you know anyone who might be looking for a project? It doesn't even need to be a full-time person, just a project. Then I found a few and I picked the best one. So he was the first person to join. Then I found a few more designers doing exact same thing. Then I recruited a couple students, interns, through Craigslist. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yes. So that's how we started. So I didn't have any co-founder. But then as our business kind of evolved, requirements also changed, right? In the beginning, we only needed like a very simple developer. But halfway through, we decided to switch our business to make a chatbot, right, artificial yes. intelligence. Right, that requires significantly more technical ability than, than making a website. Right, so what I did was I started asking around one more time and I found someone who was suitable for the role. Then uh, we decided to shuffle around the team and um, he recruited five or six more developers and then that's kind of how we started. Okay, yeah. so your team building has all been pretty much just word of mouth and personal contacts. In the beginning, now we also use recruiting firms because uh, we do need to speed up the recruiting process. Mm. But in the beginning, mostly it was Craigslist or, um, you know, friends' friends. Well, let's talk a bit about Bebop, the, the chatbot and the main offering. So can you walk me through the experience from sort of the user's point of view? Sure. You land at Narita Airport. First thing you're going to do is to connect to airport Wi-Fi, right? You were on the plane for 10 hours. Of course, you want to check your messages. As soon as you finish connecting to airport Wi-Fi, our chat window, Bebot window, just pops up. Okay, so it's integrated with uh, the free Wi-Fi itself. Okay. Exactly. So there's no additional download. And then there, you can ask things like, how do I get to Tokyo? flight status, then uh, you can ask things like best souvenirs, best Japanese restaurant, ramen, coffee shop, Starbucks, ATM, all sort of things. And everything is automated in English and Chinese. Okay. And, and the hotel systems work pretty much the same way? When you log into the hotel Wi-Fi, Bebot is there? Uh, it's similar, uh, depending on the plans. But then let's say Hotel New Otani is one of the three most iconic hotels in Japan. You check into New Tiny Hotel and you receive a little flyer with a QR code printed. Oh, okay. You scan it and then that takes you straight to the page to chat. Or another way to try is in Japan, most hotels now do offer free smartphones as part of their amenities. And then there you see a little banner. You tap on the banner and you start chatting. Okay. All right. That's great to have such high level integration. But even with really useful technology or even with really good placement like that, it's often really hard to get consumers to alter their behavior 
and, and actually try something new. So what percentage of guests are actually using Bebot and engaging with it? It's more than 40%. Okay, so it's really high. We went literally almost from like 1%. What, okay, that's, what did you do to move from 1% to 40%? Because that's, that's some pretty impressive... Uh... A lot of testing. Okay. A lot of testing. For example, uh, one of the things that worked the most for us was to reduce, to place a lot of buttons. To place a lot of buttons? Buttons. So, for example, when you first start chatting, if you just get like, welcome to Narita Airport, you don't know what to do you're not going to start typing, right? Because you don't know what you can ask. So we realized that by providing more options like thumbs up, um, buttons, persistent menu, quick replies, people tend to engage way more. Then once we learned that the buttons actually do work, we started placing different kinds of buttons and like, you know, replacing icons on the buttons, like fonts on the buttons, all sort of testing. It's just... um, a lot of baby testing, okay. um, but then we change things every day, and then now we have access to over, I think it's about like between thirty-five to forty thousand users every day. Uh, so it's much easier for us to test. But the most important change was letting the users know what kind of things they could ask by by putting those buttons in. I think that that was one of the most important things. Another thing that we did was the typing indicator. Uh, so in a reminder message, I'll explain what they, they are. So typing indicator is when you are waiting for someone's reply, usually you see like that. So you know that the reply is coming through. Oh, so, so uh, a typing indi- indicator meaning Bbot is typing back. Yes, oh, yes, okay. dot, dot, dot. Uh, and then we also learned that like many people like just left the window, left the chat after receiving welcome message, taking no action. So we decided to add another message. We call it reminder message. If you go silent for, let's say, more than five to seven seconds, we send you another message and say like start typing below or something like that. Okay. So what, what type of questions do people ask at, say, hotels? What are the most common sort of questions that they ask Bebot? Can I do late checkup? Wi-Fi password? Wait a minute. How, how can you ask Bebot the Wi-Fi password if you need to be connected to Wi-Fi? Uh, because they use free smartphones from hotels. Oh, I got it. Out of room amenities. All right, that makes sense. So if someone's requesting a late checkout, does that mean you've integrated... Bbot within the hotel's IT system? We don't integrate our system into uh, their property management system. What we do is just uh, providing information. For example, if the hotel offer late checkout or not. And if it's a yes, then how much? Usually when we send out the answer like, yes, we can extend your stay until 1 p.m. for additional fee of X thousand yen, people are like, oh, never mind, I'll just check out on time. <laughs> okay. What other kind of things? Is it, is it like restaurant recommendations? We do get that a lot. Restaurant recommendations, uh, restaurant booking requests, transportation-related uh, queries. We also get just like a small talk, just conversations like, oh, this is my first time in Tokyo. I'm so excited. Oh, really? Do you have any recommendations sort of, you know, question? We also have people sending us lots of pictures. Like, here is where I am today. 
and you know another user goes like oh I'm at the restaurant you booked for me and here's what I'm eating really so people are interacting with Bebot as if it is a living person it seems that way we didn't think it was going to happen and it's, it's definitely not happening to all users. Right, it's right. only just a percentage of users, right? Especially after we take one restaurant booking request, then it seems like people, those users, tend to chat until they check out. That's really interesting. They're like, oh, the restaurant's actually booked. <laughs> and then they're impressed, and they keep coming back and asking for additional requests. Can I do this? Can I do that? Like, you know, can you find me information about this and that? Do you... Customize requests based on like country. So, for example, Chinese tourists looking for souvenirs might want something very different than American tourists. Right. So we don't actually do those. We customize per property. What we found was uh, there's a higher correlation for user behavior with kind of like the average price. So people for staying at more expensive hotel would maybe prefer to dine at these places, let's say restaurant, average prices, more than $200, compared to users for staying at you know, $100 per night kind of hotel, and then they would prefer to dine at you know, different kinds of restaurants. That makes sense, and, and kind of keep things within the, the appropriate budgets. Yeah. Do, do you do different recommendations for someone that might be staying in the, the two-room suite versus a guest that has booked a, a single from a discount travel website? We don't right now because we don't know which room they're staying at. Oh, right. There's no fun. property management system integration, and we intentionally keep it that way. Uh, we don't want to take too much personal information. Okay. A few days ago, I tried out Bebot for the, the Tokyo Station Bebot. And, and I, I think I understand what you mean about the experience. At first, you're not sure what you can ask. So I started asking things like where, where I could get money exchanged mm-hmm. and where I could catch the train to Osaka, and it was really good. And then I asked it where I could get good apple pie. And it got confused and said, you need to ask the station managers about that. And then I asked a couple other questions. But then like 20 seconds later, Bebot came back and said, oh, there's a famous apple pie place two stops away. Here's the link. I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. What type of databases are you using on the back end to, to get this information? So we have four different layers. Top layer is our own recommendations. Then the second layer is we receive information, recommendations from our clients too. Then the third layer is we have partnership with a bunch of different uh, restaurant booking companies, activity booking companies, so we can take information from their you know, database as well. And then the last layer is we also use external APIs such as like Yelp or Google Place. And depending on how you ask and what you ask, we take information from different places. And uh, if it's the first time that we're receiving, let's say, apple pie curry, it, it would take us a bit of time to find information. Okay. You mentioned in an earlier interview that Bebot's actually a combination of machine learning and human operators. When in the flow, like at what points does it jump from the machine learning to the human operators? It depends on the contract. So let's say high-end hotels tend to pay us more for those human assistants. 
And then airports and train stations, uh, it, it all depends. So for example, if people say there's a terrorist or I found a bomb in, you know, at the gate or something, then that sends us notifications to our operators so they can jump in. Oh, okay. So the, the humans become involved with specific keywords? Yes. Or is it just when Bbot can't answer a question? Specific keywords. Specific keywords. And then also if people go like, I'm having fever, flu, need to see a doctor, those are also keywords uh, that would send us notifications. Interesting. You know, you mentioned before that, that people were sending Bebot pictures of their food and saying thank you for making the reservation and, and treating it like a, well, like a person in, in some way. So do most people interact with Bebot as if it were a computer, or do you get people that are on one extreme maybe being very friendly, or on the other extreme, a lot of tired, frustrated travelers kind of taking out their, their frustration on Bebot? It all depends on the facility. Usually, guests from five-star hotels tend to treat Bebot more like human assistants. All right. Then airport, it all depends. If it's a departure terminal, people tend to have more time. So they're like, yo, what's up? And are you married? Like, you know, where can I meet girls? Like all sort of different questions. And it's like chatting with a friend. But in the arrival terminal, it's more like an interaction with a robot because they just arrived and they just want to pick up their bags and go, right? So do you think that's because, you know, that's the arrival is a stressful, busy time or... Do you think it's like by the time they're going to departure, they've had experience with Bebot and gotten used to it? I think, um, uh, no, I think it's just um, um, like where um, the location is timing. Okay. So how do you incorporate feedback from the users to find out, for example, if a particular cafe or restaurant is good, if the users enjoy it? So... Um, but then in case of Narita Airport, we don't take feedback on individual shop because uh, our contract is with the airport. So we take feedback on, let's say, the Wi-Fi speed was not good or there are not enough chairs, uh, not enough hotel rooms inside the airport. Uh, those feedback very valuable for our client. Is the feedback just information users voluntarily type into Bebot or do you send out like, uh, does Bebot ask questions about the satisfaction? Uh, we also do ask about satisfaction. So for example, if you say thank you to Bebot, you get a reply like, glad you think so, um, how would you rate me um, for this service? And then you see a button like thumbs up and thumbs down. Let's talk a bit about chatbots in general. Because I think that the technology is going through this, this interesting phase right now. So a year or two ago, maybe about one year ago, we were sort of at peak chatbot hype and where chatbots were going to be used for everything. And what do you think chatbots are really good at? And what type of applications do you think that they're not quite ready for just yet? In my opinion, uh, chatbots in general are quite useful when it's used properly. But what I see now, in many cases, it's not actually done properly. 
So what, what does it mean to do it properly? Sure, for example, it needs to be very, very vertical. It can be just like travel in general. I book you a hotel, I book you this and that. That does not work. So for example, we also try booking rooms and booking activities. It never, never really worked. Uh, so what we learned was people don't really do high value transaction in a bot. And then also like matching like vacancies and uh, you know uh, requests. Those are very difficult too. That's, that's really interesting because that's one of the things I desperately want a chatbot to do for me because it is so complicated. What was the problem? Why didn't it work? So people go things like, I'm traveling with 10 other friends. Can you also give us discount? It's just not happening. It's not in the system, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't really match it. Like, so it's too much variation. Too much variation. And then also like a lot of things are very, very irregular. And I, I can give you another example. So one of the chatbots that I do enjoy using on a weekly basis is uh, Kuroneko Yamato, the chatbot delivery service. Yeah. You just enter the, um, your PIN number, not the PIN number, but the, on the slip delivery number. Then you choose when, like today, tomorrow, day after tomorrow. Then after that, you only choose you know, morning, afternoon, evening, and then you just hit done. It's very simple, but it works very, very well. So would it be fair to say that, that chatbots are really useful in domains where there are very clearly defined rules? I think so. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yes. So the artificial intelligence part of chatbots is really more on the understanding the input yep. side and not the making decisions side. Right. Okay. So like, I think a lot of companies tend to mix everything together. In our case, we had the same problem in the beginning, the very first year. We built everything based on our assumption, thinking, oh, users probably want this recommendation, that recommendation, and then maybe they want to book a taxi, and they want to book a room, and they want to book activities. And all these things that we built, um, not many people used it. So we decided to kind of like, uh, you know, throw all of them away. And um, we started like chatting manually one more time, just to collect information, collect, you know, the actual queries. That makes a lot of sense. It's you know, it's tricky to know from, because from the outside of a startup, all chatbot startups are talking about AI because everyone wants to hear about AI. The VCs want to hear about it. The users want to hear about it. But often, like inside the company, it's a much more practical approach where you're, you're going down a decision tree. And in our case, I mean, we also do make our own natural language processing and we do heavily invest in that. But then doesn't mean that we would only do like AI part because we also do know buttons work, you know, perfectly fine. And then that increases like engagement, like much, much higher. And then also like small talk part is very important. And that can be hard coded, that can be dynamic. It all depends, right? And we also integrate lots of APIs, external APIs. For example, um, when you enter flight code at Narita Airport, you get a um, instant reply, like, here's your gate, or like, you know, status, like, you need to go to the gate right now, or final oh, calls, okay. you know, all these messages. A lot of, like, a different factors. Right, so it's not simply answering a question, yes. it's being very proactive. And, yes. and The most important thing is just to get users' question answered, right? You know, they don't care if it's a human or a robot, they just want to get their questions answered. I think that certainly seems why someone would start using it. But as you were talking about, 
Some of the most useful functions are things like those reminders where Bbot's being proactive. And when you were talking about the importance of small talk, so a small talk like, for example, when, when, a, when a user sends it a picture saying, oh, here's my, the dinner, thanks for the recommendation, Bbot would say something like, oh, it looks delicious, I'm glad you enjoyed it, that, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on, a, on a technical level, uh, I noticed that you used to run Bbot on both Facebook and WeChat. But you, you stopped doing that. What was, what was the reason for that decision? The biggest reason was um, not everyone has Facebook or WeChat. We needed to make it consistent. So like our users had problem like remembering their password. So in our case, we didn't make Bebot public. Uh, meaning you needed to receive a token from a hotel, then you needed to enter the token, then after that you needed to enter your Facebook Messenger, you know, login credentials, and that was a long step. Then we thought, okay, maybe what if like we just removed the token, but our clients didn't want to make their chatbot public to like all these people from not staying at their hotels. So authentication method needed to be in place. So we decided, what if we maybe turn it into just a web chat, like so anyone can chat as long as they have access to the link. That makes sense. Facebook and WeChat aren't part of your customer acquisition, so they, they end up being a, a barrier to use. So that was the biggest reason. Second reason was Facebook, you know, um, they do a good job updating their APIs too often. And every time they made changes, we also had to make changes on our side. And there are so many limitations around it too. Like we needed to use their template. And, And I guess even long term, a lot of companies have found out that basing their business on top of Facebook is a dangerous thing to do. Agreed. And WeChat was the same problem. Yeah. Because of the 2020 Olympics, right now Japan is going through this real, um, well, there's been a tourism boom going on for the last few years, but it's really gearing up for this year and next. How does that factor into your, your business plans? We are gradually shifting our client base more towards cities and governments instead of like individual hotels to cover broader area. So for example, um, this year we started servicing one of the most um, popular tourist destinations, Kyoto City. So now when you connect to Kyoto City Wi-Fi, you see a Bebot there. And, and do you plan to introduce Japanese language support? Because it sounds like as you, as you expand to cover more general city information, that would be something a lot of Japanese travelers would want access to too. Uh, we, we avoid Japanese for now for several reasons. Biggest reason for us is there's not enough market, we believe. With declining population, we think our time is better spent making, let's say, Spanish or Thai. Really? Um, so that's the biggest one. And the second is technically uh, it's also more challenging making Bebot available in Japanese language. And then another reason that I don't normally mention is expectation from Japanese users are much, much higher than um, known Japanese customers. I think, especially, let's say, you go to information counters or concerts desk at the hotel, uh, usually people who are complaining 
are locals because they expect much much higher standard of like service so you can't just like send emoji and be like sorry i'm not smart enough then you don't have the answer <laughs> right right that can make so, japanese yeah, consumers yeah. even yeah. more angry so you know it's like a combinations but primarily for those three reasons we avoid it for now all right you know i've, I've also noticed that nlp natural language processing in general is far more advanced in chinese and english Agreed. than any other language. More data available. Yeah, and and bigger companies working on it too. Agreed. Is that part of the reason behind the technical roadmap as well or has it been strictly business reasons? Both. Are you thinking of going global with this because it seems like this is a system that is needed, I mean, everywhere. We're already uh, running some of our services outside of Japan since um, last year. Wait, 2017. Can, can you talk about where? Uh, so Philippines, Singapore, and then we are starting very soon uh, in the UK as well. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, let's talk a bit about your customer acquisition strategy. Not, not, not so much the users, but uh, bringing the hotels and the stations online. How did you approach those organizations to sell? In the beginning, so first year, second year, third year, now it's the fourth year. Um, it's very different, right? Um, so first year... I didn't have any hotel contact, so what I did was very um, spammed everyone on Facebook one more time, asking, do you have any friends who work at the hotels? And surprisingly, many of my friends did. So they introduced me to uh, those people who work at the hotel, and I started going to events, seminar, like hotel seminars, and we got the first customer in maybe two months. That's incredibly fast. But we still didn't have the product yet. We sold it before we built the product. That's, no, that's always the best way to do it. I don't think I've ever built a product I hadn't sold already. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, glad you say so. Uh, so we sold it first, then the clients paid for it. We used that money to build a product. Then um, after that, we wanted to get big name client. So we went to Holiday Inn and said, look, we can make it all free for you. Would you like to use it? And they were having problems communicating with guests. You know, 90% of their guests are foreigners, but they didn't seem to have enough bilingual stuff at the front desk. So they're like, yes. And, and the, the buyer's motivation was the, the international support, the Chinese and English support. Exactly. And is that, is that true? To this day, is that still the major driver behind Tokyo Station? And I think so, 70%, 70%. Then more hotels approached us, and as we got more press coverage, Narita Airport found us. So they came to us and they said, if you can do hotels, you mm-hmm. should be able to do the airport. And we were thinking, the volume is going to be massively different, and then the type of queries are going to be different. But then we were like, Sure. Then after a few meetings, the airport agreed to sign a contract with us. So we launched at the airport. It was supposed to be a, just a proof of concept, very small POC. But then we did well. So they kept renewing the contract and you know, now we have a permanent contract. And after that, Tokyo Station, JR Railway Company, um, approached us and they said, look, if you can do the airport, why can't you do the station? We were thinking, <laughs> you know, station, Tokyo station, it's massive. There's, yes. there's no way we can support 
that kind of volume. But we didn't want to say no to that opportunity. So we said, if you give us、um, three weeks, we can build it for you. Then we did. Then after that, Kyoto City approached us. If you can do station, why can't you do the city? And we were like, why not? Well, I mean, it's, it's, that is a high quality problem when you have new customers coming to you like that. But what, what, what is the biggest difference, though? Like, when moving from like a hotel to an airport, is it just、uh, different supporting databases you need to put together? Do you have to develop new models to understand the type of queries? It's entirely different. It's entirely different. Really? Yeah, we share some of the platform, of course, you know, internally, but a lot of things are different. For example, user behavior is completely different. With hotels, you want to make sure you spend longer time interacting with users. For, so, for example, the reply doesn't go out like as fast. The airport and the station, people are usually in a rush, so they want a reply instantly. They don't want like a dot, 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 like typing indicator. Things are very different. And then with、um, airports and stations, conversations tend to end much quicker than like with hotel guests. Hotel guests are like staying for like five days, six days. They have lots of time to chat. So they're like, How are you? How was your day? I'm looking for maybe breakfast, maybe lunch. Do you have any recommendations? And the chat goes on forever. All right. And that makes sense because they are.、Um At a hotel, particularly a five star hotel, you're going to associate a good experience with a slower, more complete, more polite、mm-hmm. response. Whereas if you've just gotten off your plane, all you want is that information. So Bebot has just completely different personalities.、Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, listen, Akemi, before we wrap up, I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question.、Mm-hmm. And that's if I gave you a magic wand and I told you that you could change one thing about Japan, anything at all the education system, the way people think about risk, the legal system, anything at all to make it better for startups and innovation in Japan, what would you change? Decision making process. Really? For large corporates. So, what would you change about it? Just the speed? The speed. Why do you think it takes so long here? Because 20 different people have to stamp the paper, and if one person is on holiday, y- your contract is like on hold for like three months. The,、yes. the dreaded ringi show. Yeah. And、uh, for our foreign listeners,、uh, a ringi show in Japan is a,、uh, it's an authorization form that certain people in the company have to stamp in order for a contract or an agreement to be approved. But some of your customers decided pretty quickly. I think so. We got lucky. Why, why, would, why do you think they were able to, to make that decision so fast? Because it's conservative industries. Yeah, like railway company,、right. airports, and、yeah. cities. You know, there were lots of paperwork, but they did fully understand how important it was to provide assistance to those people coming to Japan. So, do you think that sense of urgency? Made them act faster, or do you think that sense of urgency made them make an exception to their normal processes? I don't think they made exceptions, but they were like, okay, we have to close this like, sin because you know, it's an AI、uh, solution. It learns over time, and sooner we do, the better. 
Okay, so big companies, when it's important, they can move fast. I think so. Yeah, I. That's, that's encouraging. I never knew. I never knew. You know, some of our big clients took them maybe almost two years to close a contract. Oh, you know, right. we have some of those as well. Huh. So, what advice do you have for like other startups who are trying to sell to big companies? And you know, startups can't wait around two years for a contract because they'll run out of money. Quickest way is to find the decision maker. If you can't meet them, find someone else who knows them. How do you figure that out? Because in a Japanese company, it can be really hard to know who the actual decision maker is. You ask around. Yeah. Until you get the answer. So you have to do、uh, a lot of kind of word of mouth research. Yeah. Yeah. You also need to be in the right community. You know, I, I noticed that it seems like a lot of your strategy is based on. Word of mouth and personal connections, from recruiting to initial sales to even you know your current big company sales. It's a really personal, direct involvement. I'm just,、um, I'm just like very persistent. I have to say, <laughs> well, it seems to be working. I would keep asking you <laughs> if you don't give me the answer. That's fantastic. Well, listen, I can. Thanks so much for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me here. And we're back. I, I think it's interesting that Akemi and Bespoke have focused on English and Chinese, and have stayed away from the Japanese language. I think that's a first. I mean, I, I talk with many, for example, AI companies from Germany or France, where the English language accounts for most of their business. But I, I've never met one that does that to the exclusion of their own language. But I have to admit, Akemi's reasoning on this point is quite sound. The immediate market demand is for English and Chinese. The potential global market demand is overwhelmingly English and Chinese. The most advanced natural language processing research is being done in English and Chinese. And the high level of Japanese customer expectation sets a much higher bar for the kind of sophistication that would be needed in a Japanese chatbot. So yeah, it makes sense to forget about your own language and focus on what your customers need. As always, it's not about you; it's about your customers. The other thing that struck me in our conversation with Akemi was the importance of personal connections to her success, and I don't mean personal connections in the cynical sense of knowing powerful people. Akemi's connections were all from her Facebook friends and her school friends, and just just regular people she knew, people who were willing to help her out because they liked her and they liked what she was trying to do. Even now, Bespoke is growing quickly, but in a very capital-efficient and somewhat organic way. And what's most interesting here is that this is the exact opposite of what Silicon Valley investors and founders insist is the only way to grow a new technology company. The standard playbook is that you need to raise the most money. To hire the best engineers, to crank the PR machine up to eleven, to gather the most mindshare, and then prevent the competition from ever getting a foothold. Now, sure, that can work, 
But sometimes the best thing is just to solve an important problem and to do it really well. If you want to chat more about chatbots, Akemi and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 138. And if you leave a question in the comment section, I guarantee you I'll respond. And most of our guests are pretty good about answering listeners' questions as well. Also, if you find yourself killing time on social media, be sure to check out our Facebook and LinkedIn site sometime. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.